0: Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces, Casino, and Racetrack. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and today is a summary again of all that I've done so far with preflop ranges. Uh, but today I'm going to try to clarify some things. Uh, I've been working on this quite a bit, trying to make it easier around the terminology and around the implementation. And I'm still accepting feedback, so uh, I don't consider this final, but hopefully it continues to clarify where I'm going with this. Uh, And I am continuing to get feedback. I've gotten a fair amount so far. So there could be some changes forthcoming, but this today is really about continuing to streamline, continuing to clarify uh, what this pre-flop range process could look like. And I found it pretty interesting. Uh, as you know, the podcast has grown in numbers significantly over the past, uh, especially the past year or so. But the last few episodes, our numbers have actually gone down the past few episodes. But our engagement as far as emails, uh, personal phone calls, uh, direct messages through Facebook and Twitter, all of those have increased significantly over the past few weeks. So I found that pretty interesting, uh, and I think that's a good thing for what I'm trying to do. Um, My primary goal here is really to help us recreational players grow our game. So frankly, I'm much more interested in the engagement than I am about the listenership. I mean, all of us podcasters, everybody seems to uh, have a fair share of um, of desire to be famous and that sort of thing. That's really not my goal. My goal is to grow our game. So uh, the fact that our engagement is increasing, I take that as a far more important sign than our numbers is dropping a little bit. So my point there is really, I'm glad that this is helping so many of you. And I guess the, the categories of people I would say are those of you who this is providing some sort of a structure that you've started to use, you've started to implement. You're maybe putting your own tweaks on it and that's great. Uh, But that's part of it. For the other part of the engagement I've seen, it's it's people that have been inspired or encouraged to develop your own intentional ranges. Uh, So it might not be that my ranges are resonating with you as much as it is providing you the impetus and the motivation to develop your own ranges. And frankly, both of those are awesome results because I'm not claiming that my strategy is going to be the best but if it can be a starting point for some of you and a launching point for others of you, uh, I have succeeded in what my goal is with this whole series of preflop ranges, um, these, these episodes. So my plan is to summarize this week, uh, continue to take all of the input. If you want to provide input, please do so by November 6th, and then I'm going to provide a final episode on my preflop ranges for the early stage of a tournament, uh, unless there's really no change. If this is really it, if there's no changes, uh, I might not do another episode. I don't want to waste your time or my time. Uh, But then uh, if that is the case where I do sort of release a final one, then I'll announce where we're gonna go from there. So another thing to point out with this, I'm also planning to, once I have this all finalized, create an article. Uh, for a new blog that I'm starting, uh, which will go on recpokertraining.com. So watch for that. It'll be all written out, which I know many of you have requested already. Um, And speaking of the website, if you haven't signed up yet for the email newsletter, you can do so there, and you can get a free download of a 115-page workbook from Jonathan Little. And while you're there, you can also check out Patreon uh, to support the podcast, support what I'm doing. The more support, the more things that we can provide. So go to patreon.com slash recpoker, uh, and you can, uh, depending on your support level, you can get some great additional training, support, discounts, that sort of thing. And I do want to thank our new Patreon subscribers, Jerry Kniff at the silver level and Peter Whitman at the bronze level. So thanks to Jerry, thanks to Peter. I appreciate your support and uh, I, I trust that you're going to get a lot of value out of those uh, support levels. Also, those of you wearing patches that I know of that I saw, uh, Derek Smith, Taylor Moss, Steve Olson, who had one in a winner, winner's photo, so way to go Steve-O. Brian Morey, and I know Jerry Kniff is taking some of those on a road trip for playing poker. So thanks you guys uh, and all of you others out there who I wasn't able to uh, to mention. Also, uh, Facebook Live I've started doing a little bit about that. So if you are a part of the uh, Rec Poker group on Facebook. Uh, I've started doing a little uh, two, three-minute videos uh, on Facebook Live when I start to go into a tournament during breaks, and then at the end, sort of reflecting on how things went. Had some good feedback on that, so I'll continue to do that. Uh, And I've also started doing a little bit more with video. I plan on uh, sort of expanding that. So there is a YouTube channel for Rec Poker Training, so find that. Uh, There's a link, uh, I I think there's a link out on the... um, the Rec Poker training site as well. So, subscribe there. I promise not to clutter that with a bunch of useless stuff, but I think there's going to be some valuable things that'll go out there as well. And finally, a quick reminder uh, live seminars November 10th in Lionel Lakes. There's still room. I'm having one from 8 to 11 and also from noon to 3 November 10th, Lino Lakes, Minnesota. Um, and then also we're going to be doing an online player panel. I've got some great, four great recreational players from the state of Minnesota who are going to be there for really just open-ended Q&A discussion. This is going to be November 29th from 7 to 9 p.m. I'm going to charge just 10 bucks for that. Uh, unless you are a Patreon subscriber at at least the silver level, you'll get that free. But uh, 10 bucks to join them online for a two-hour discussion. Uh, and I'm, I've got to figure out the details for registrations and that, so just stay tuned, but you could save the date. I'll be collecting questions beforehand, and then during, if we have time, uh, we'll open that up for those of you who are online. And that's going to include Matt Hamilton, Max Havlish, Ian Matakis, and Alan Carty. And for those of you who are from Minnesota, you'll know those names and know the respect that those folks have. So stay tuned for details on that. Okay, so uh, last week we went through everything in detail. And again, this week is sort of clean up on where I'm gonna to try to clarify the process, clarify the language, and streamline the implementation. So, I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and uh, I've got some new twists on how to approach this. So, uh, obviously you can implement this however it works for you, uh, but this is more and more how I'm leaning uh, to try to reduce mental energy and, and make it as easy as possible. So, here goes. The process basically is <clears throat> excuse me, uh, before the hand is dealt, identify your base range. And I'm starting to refer to this as your base action range. And I used to label these ranges 22, 33. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, I used to label these ranges 22, 33 up to 99, but, but for simplicity I'm gonna start using just base range, base action range two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. So if you are on the button, your base action range is two. In a cutoff, your base action range is three. And all the way up until, uh, if you were to be under the gun 10-handed, you would end up being at base action range nine. Uh, But this base action range really just forms the foundation of... um, this three-digit action range and this sounds complicated but i don't think it's going to be at all Uh, obviously any sort of uh, range memorization and that sort of thing requires some work but i think this is fairly straightforward Uh, what this is leading to is is understanding a three digit base action range and the first number uh, to start with is going to be that base action range number that we already figured out so uh, all of this has nothing to do with the value of your hand this is just Uh, the the representing the ranges that define what your action should be in certain situations and The situations that we have broken this down into is if there's no action in front of you If there's at least one limp in front of you or if there's a single raise in front of you And the process is pretty simple But it does take a little practice and it's consistent with what we've done before so what we really want is we want this three-digit action range for each of those three potential situations So your three-digit action range when there's no action in front of you is very simple. It's just the base action range repeated. So uh, for example, if you're in the hijack, which is two places off of the button, your base action range is four, which makes your three-digit action range four, four, four. Uh, Now you can just think of this as a four, but I think later on you'll see why it's probably easier to have this three-digit code, um, because it's gonna be consistent with how you think about your other action ranges. Now, um, you can start to determine your three-digit action range um, pretty easily in the case that there are are just limpers in front of you. If there's one limper or more in front of you, you can determine your three-digit action range um, simply by starting with your base action range. Remember, it was four in this case. Then add two, and then add three more. So, plus two, and then plus three more will get you to your three digit action range in this position. So in the hijack, remember your base action range is four, so your, your no action range is four, four, four. And if there's a limp in front of you, your action range changes to four, six, nine. Okay, we added two, then we added three. So four, six, nine. And note that nine will always be the maximum. So if we add two and we add three, and it's more than nine, just use a nine in all cases. And so finally, and we'll go through some examples at the end of this. So I know this is drinking from a fire hose, but I really like this process, and I think you'll see why as we get further into this. But the third um, situation is where there's a range in front of you. And here, we're going to start with the base range, but that base range is actually going to change, and we're going to play it as if we were three positions earlier, okay? So if there's a ra- if there's a raise in front of you, uh, we're gonna play it like we're three positions earlier. So that's gonna become the first digit of the code is three positions higher. Okay? Then the second digit of that code is going to be adding one more, and then the final digit is always a nine. So in this case where we are in the hijack where our, our base range was a four, our three-digit code now switches to seven, eight, nine. We added three to the first digit, added one more, and then we always end in 9. So from the hijack our three ranges are 444, 469 or 789. Now, I don't subscribe to trying to memorize oh hijack 444 469 789. I just like to follow this concept of the 4 always 444 and then we add 2 and 3 to get to 469 and we add um three and then one more and then a nine at the end. So uh, it sounds complicated. I do think you'll get it as we practice more and more. And remember for each, any specific hand, you don't have to know all of these things because the action is what is going to dictate which code you need. And also you don't need to memorize all the ranges and all of these things because you're only going to be in one position for any given hand and you're only going to have one course of action in front of you for any given hand. So as long as you sort of remember the structure, this is going to get there. Right now, I'm giving you all of the examples, which makes it seem incredibly convoluted. So just try to remember those principles, and we'll go through some exercises later, and you'll see why, for any given hand, it's really not that much mental energy. Okay. So these three codes for any given position, you know, we talked about the hijack being the 444, and then if there's a limp, it becomes 469, and then if there's a raise, it becomes 789. I'm start to refer to these as our open action range, our limp action range, and our raise action range. Okay, so for each of those situations. Um, and I am gonna create some flashcards, quizzes, and other tools once all of this gets locked in. Um, and including a chart of sort of what are all of these by each position. But um, that's the general approach. So for me, the base range is, is easy. Um, it's position only. And then I like to use the plus two, plus three for the limp action range, and then uh, plus three or plus one for the raise action range. Um, For some, it might be best to lock all three of these ranges in before you look at your hand, uh, because there may be comfort in knowing what these are if and when the action changes, uh, so you've already thought about what your response is based on your hand. And I think that's good practice. And and once you are well versed in this, I ex- would expect this to take somewhere between five and fifteen seconds per hand, uh, depending on how good are, are you are at this. So um, if you're going to do things this way, you look at you look down, you realize you're at the button, and so you realize that um, you know I'm three off of the button, so I'm in base range five, and then I could quickly think, okay. Uh, if there's no action in front of me, I'm in range five, 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 which basically means I'm going to raise if my hand is within range five. If there's limps, I'm at a five, seven, nine situation. And if there's a raise, I'm at an eight, nine, nine situation. So I could do all of that before I look at my hand, um, and then I know what the action is in front of me. Um, and again, because there's only going to be one set of actions in front of me, I only am going to need to work with one of those, Um and if there's no action, I can just think, oh, okay. I can just if my hand's in the range five, I can I can raise. If there's uh, just limping in front of me, I think, oh, I'm at five seven nine. If there's a raise, I can think I'm at eight nine nine. Now, the, here's how we use these codes: this five seven nine or eight nine nine, for example. This three-digit action range is all about taking the range that you're going to play and splitting it up so that you have a polarized raising range. So in in practice, you would consider your hand range, uh, where your hand actually is in terms of rank, and we'll discuss that in a second, versus your action range. So if your hand range is at least as big as the last number in that action range, you're going to raise. If it's not, but at least as big as the second number, then you should call. If not, but at least as big as the first number, then you should raise. And so we'll go over some of the examples at, at, at the end Uh, About this, but basically, you know, if if your three digit action code is 579, this means if your hand is a range nine, you're gonna raise. If it's seven or eight, you're gonna call. If it's five or six, you're going to raise. And anything below a five, you're just gonna fold. So that's how the action range starts to get used. Okay, so that's how that's your three digit action code, and we'll bring that all together at the end. Now, let's talk about your hand range. Or basically, what is the maximum range that your hand lies in? And I've shared this method of determining before, uh, where you start with the ranges and then ask where the hand fits. Uh, This week, I wanna take another look at how you could determine this. Uh, Either way is accurate, and you can determine which way you prefer, but I think this way may be a bit easier for some of us. Uh, And basically, it just says, okay, if I'm gonna look down at my hand, if my hand is a pair, that rank is the hand range up to a maximum of nine. So this seems pretty easy. If I look down, I pick up pocket sevens, I'm in hand range seven. If I pick up pocket queens, I'm in hand range nine. If I pick up pocket threes, I'm in hand range three. So pairs are, are super easy. Um, if my hand contains suited cards, okay, I've got two suited cards, I take the lowest card and I subtract three from it. And that is my hand range. Now if that result is lower than a hand range two, it's a fold, with the only current exception being that if I have a suited ace, it must be in at least hand range three. So if I have something, if I have a suited ace, I'll do the regular thing, take the smallest one, subtract three and see what the hand range is. If that's anything lower than three, I'm going to adjust that to say all suited aces have to be at least hand range three. So consider these examples. I have 10-5 suited. I look at the 5, take off 3, I'm in range 2. If I have queen-jack suited, that's in hand range 8. Yep, jack, 10-9-8, okay, take off 3. If I have ace-7 suited, what hand range is that in? It's in hand range 4. If I have ace-3 suited, that's in hand range 3 because I use the exception there. If I have queen-8 suited, that's in hand range Five, right, okay. So finally, the most common situation is if I have two unpaired, unsuited cards. And the easiest thing for me to do here is know that we have this rule that says um, they have to both be at least a 10 or it's not really a playable hand using our default strategy. So um, I can just quickly look and if I have two unsuited, unpaired cards, which is the most common hand to have, if they're not both at least a 10, just a fold it falls below the hand range too so it's just a fold and that's going to be the majority of the situation but if both cards are at least a 10 then the hand range is the lowest card subtracting four remember that we want to have one range worse than our suited counterparts so uh, unplayable hands using this methodology include unsuited 9, 8, Queen 7, Ace 9, Ace 3, King 8, 6 5, etc. As far as playable hands, uh, where will Jack 10 offsuit be? Well, we look at the 10, we take off 4, so that's range 6. King Queen is in range 8. We start with the Queen, then we go Jack 10, 9, 8. Ace King is in range 9. Ace Jack is in range seven. So now at this point, we have our hand range, we know what range our hand is in, and we have our base action range. Uh, and for some of us, we know our full action range. We've already figured out what is our three digit code for an open, open action range, a limp action range, and a raise action range, but, but at least we have our base action range. So if we follow this system and our hand range is below our base action range, we are going to fold. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to keep paying attention to the hand, but this is going to be um, the most common situation. And I think this is the least mental energy is if you just say, okay, I'm in position I'm in this position, so the base action range is a 5. Then I can look at my hand. You know, I don't have to wait for it to get to me. There's no rule that says that. I can look at my hand and say, oh, my hand is a hand range four. I'm just going to fold. I don't need to expend any extra energy unless I just want to work on practicing some of these things. But I can just, just fold and not have to worry about that. Or if, for the other side would be if my hand is in uh, range nine, I know I'm always going to raise. So I don't have to expend all of that extra effort as well there. But in in some of those cases, uh, we know our base range is say like a a five, our base action range, and our hand range is a seven. Now it's going to uh, change a little bit uh, when it gets to us. So um, when it does get to us, we're we're aware now of the action in front of us and what range we should be considering. Uh, If our hand range is below the applicable action range, we just fold, but if it meets the criteria, then we need to take that appropriate action. And to do this, we compare our hand range with that top end of the action range, the last digit. And if it's at least that high, we raise. And if not, we compare it to the middle digit. If it's at least that high, we call. And finally, if it's at least as high as the first digit, we raise. So that's where the work would have to come in if there's some action in front of us and our hand range is higher than the base action range. So that's where the work would need to come in. So uh, let's work through a couple of examples. I know this isn't the best, easiest explanation. I wish I had more time to really uh, make this as easy as possible. But uh, as you know, we're on this journey together. And so uh, the language, the process, the clarity will come over time, uh, especially as we all kind of wrestle with this now. But um, for now, let's work through a couple of examples on how this could work. And I am going to take the approach that I think involves the least mental energy but is still true to the system. Which means I'm going to think about all three action ranges right away. Um, Or I'm sorry, that I'm not going to think about all three action ranges right away. I'm just going to acknowledge the base range, then look at my hand. And at this point I know that I'm going to be folding probably about 80% of the time on average. So I don't need to expend any more mental energy. uh, Even though the exercise is good. And then for the remaining 20%, I'm gonna start applying the rules as I need to. So let's look at just a few of these situations. So situation one, I'm on the button. So, and I'm I'm going to involve you, I'm gonna pause here a little bit and let you guys uh, figure out if you got a handle on this at all. But uh, if I'm on the button, what is my base action range? Right, it's two, uh, or two, 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 if you'd rather think about it that way. Okay, so my base action range is two. Now I look at my hand and I find that I have king eight offsuit. What is my hand range? Okay, this is outside of any hand range. Remember for offsuit cards, they both need to be 10 or higher. So I'm just gonna fold here, even though I'm on the button, uh, even if there's no action in front of me, early in the tournament. Remember, we're talking about early in the tournament, phase one. I'm just gonna fold here, my king eight. So I don't really need to spend any more mental energy. I've looked at my hand. Uh, Now I can sort of study the other players, figure out what ranges they're playing, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I know I'm going to be folding. All right, situation two. I'm in the hijack, which is two people away from the button. What is my base action range? Okay, it's four. I start with the button is two, then move away two more people. So two, three, four. So my base action range is four. Now I look down on my hand and I find I have king jack suited. What is my hand range? Okay, I'm in hand range eight. Because they're suited, I'm going to use the lowest card and subtract three from that. So starting with the jack, king, jack, suited, start with the jack, 10, 9, 8. So I'm in hand range eight. So right now I know that my hand range is higher than my base action range. So I'm probably going to get involved in this hand. I just need to figure out what my action is. Okay, so now it comes to me and I know there's a limp in front of me. Alright, somebody limped. What is my action here with King Jack suited? Okay, so this is the, the biggest, most robust part of the strategy is figuring this out. There's a limp in front of me. What is my limping action range? Okay, well if you recall, the limping action range is that three digit code, and it starts with my base action range, which was four. And for limping, I add two and then add three. So my three digit code becomes four, six, nine. So my limping action range in this situation is four, six, nine. So what is my action? Well, remember that my hand range was eight. So I compare my hand range of eight to this limping action range of four, six, nine. And what I've decided is that it's not high enough to raise from the top end, it has to be a nine there, but it is high enough to call behind. It had to be at least a six. So I'm going to limp behind here with king jack suited early in a tournament. All right, hopefully we're following this. Uh, And I know it's easier when it's all written down. Uh, Situation three, here I'm in the low jack, which is three people away from the button. So what is my base action range? It's five, so start with the button two, three, four, five. So my base action range is five. And I look at my hand and I find pocket sixes. All right, so what is my hand range? Well, the hand range here is six. Um, With the pairs, that's the easiest one. It's just equal to the same uh, same number as the rank of the pair. So I'm in hand range six with a base action range of five. In this case, I know I'm gonna get involved unless there's a raise in front of me. I mean, that's one of the things I might be thinking about is I know if there's a raise in front of me, I'm going to increase my base action range by three so in this case uh, if there's no action uh, in front of me or if there's a limp in front of me I'm gonna get involved otherwise if there's a raise I'm probably just gonna fold this early in a tournament maybe probably (laughs) according to the strategy okay but in this case uh, my hand range is six my base action range is five and there are two limpers in front of me so what is my action here? well let's develop that limping action range again that three digit code My base action range was five, then I add two and add three. So the limping action range becomes five, seven, nine. And my hand range of six does not meet the criteria for the top raising range, which was nine, or the call behind range, which is seven, but it's big enough to be part of the bottom raising range, which is five. So here, I would raise over the two limpers with a plan to fold to a big re-raise. And my bet size would probably be about four and a half times a big blind. I tend to do two and a half plus one for each limper. So in this case with pocket sixes, even though i probably fold to a raise, I'm going to raise to limpers. Sort of an interesting spot, but I think the the logic works out for me early in a tournament based on how I like to play in this, uh, what I call the preservation phase, which I sold for Matt Hunt of the Solve for Y Academy. Okay, uh, one more situation, and then we're going to close up today. Uh, Situation four, here I'm on the button, and what is my base range? It's two, and I look down at Ace-Jack suited. So what is my hand range here with Ace-Jack suited? Well, suited cards, I subtract three off the jack, so I'm at hand range eight. And now in this case, there's a raise in front of me, so what is my action? I'm on the button, base range two, I have Ace-Jack suited, hand range eight, and there's a raise in front of me. Well, with that raise, my base range increases by three, and the full raise action range starts with that adjusted range, then adds one, then then ends in nine. So my raise action range, that three-digit code, becomes five, six, nine on the button with a raise in front of me. Increase the two by three, add one, end in nine. Five, six, nine. So here, if I look at the five, six, nine, what do I do with a hand that's in range eight. Well, this isn't a call behind spot because it's not a nine, so I'm not gonna raise with it, but it is a six or higher, so I'm gonna call behind. So note here that with a five, six, nine raise action range, if I had ace king or ace queen suited, I would have raised. And I also would have raised with ace eight suited. But I'm gonna call behind here with ace jack, ace 10, and ace nine suited. That is how the polarized raising range works. So that is it for today. I'm still gathering feedback to to kind of bring this all together to help make this better, and feel free to submit any feedback you have. I love even very negative feedback. It's super helpful. Remember, I'm being as transparent as I can. I'm on this journey. I'm trying to figure out how to become a better player. You all know I'm not a world-class player. But I'm trying to get better, and the way that I get there is to put myself out there, here's what I'm thinking, get your feedback, incorporate that feedback, and hopefully become a better player. So uh, any feedback you give helps me, helps you, helps all of Poker Nation uh, get better. So it's very, very much appreciated. So again, I'm going to take all this, uh, come up with sort of a finalized uh, view of where I am, create that into a, a an article or a blog post or something. Maybe I'll create a video out of it as well. Um, and put that out on YouTube uh, where I can show uh, some of these things graphically while I'm talking. Uh, I think that would be a good idea as well. Um, So we'll decide. Next week I'll see if I need to revisit this again or if we're good to go, and then we'll figure out where to go from that. Uh, Maybe start another round of interviews or share some other stuff that I'm learning from our great content providers uh, or maybe talk a little bit about um, playing out of the blinds early in in tournaments or Uh, as we start moving forward in tournaments. So we'll see, a long ways to go of course, but this is a start. This is a situation that we face all the time. Uh, And so I think it's the most important one to spend a lot of time on. Okay, so that is the end of the content. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time going through some of the the other training things that we have. So check out there um, if you don't wanna hear the rest of this. I'll try to move through the rest of this pretty quickly and focus on new things uh, for those of you who do wanna listen. So uh, the first thing to note here, Uh, is if you have a group of people that want to learn together, I'm happy to work something out as far as a private seminar or discussion or book study or whatever. I can even share some of the stuff from our content providers uh, like solve for why like Splitsuit, like Alex Fitzgerald, uh, some of the other emerging things that we have going on with partnerships uh, um, with Jonathan Little. So um, let me know. Uh, We can work those things out, and I'll make those as affordable as possible. A reminder that we do have live in person seminars. I'm getting some people registered for those. I think they're going to be great discussions based on the people that are going to be there. Um, They're both going to be held on November 10th, uh, one at 8 o'clock, one at noon. They'll both be three hours long. Uh, I'm going to call this Approaching a Tournament. How do we approach a tournament? And it's going to be featuring about a 40-minute video uh, from the Solve for Y Academy called The Anatomy of an MTT or Multi-Table Tournament. Fantastic video by Matt Hunt. We'll also look at some information from Alex Assassinato Fitzgerald, one of the world's greatest poker coaches. And we'll also do a little bit of uh, watching of Poker Out Loud, this cool concept from the Solve for Y Academy. So we'll watch some of that as well. Uh, I'm limiting this to 30 people each session. Right now, we probably have, I don't know, 10 to 15 people maybe. I haven't looked recently. Uh, and I think that's already a great number to have some great discussion. Frankly, the smaller the group, the richer the discussion. Um, but we do have room if you want to join us uh, for any of those sessions uh, as well. Uh, and and right now, we don't have a reservation tool set up yet. So I'm just handling all of the uh, registrations myself. So just email me, steve at recpokertraining.com. Or reach out through social media and I'll tell you how you can pay and lock in your seat. Uh, A new thing that we are just announcing here is November 29th from 7 to 9 p.m. I don't care where you are. You can be local or not. Uh, We're going to do an online player panel Q&A. Um, And for those of you who are part of the silver package or higher, I believe, uh, this is included free of charge. You'll have to register, but it's still free. Uh, For for others of you, I'm going to reduce this to $10. Uh, I think this is going to be a great value thing. Uh, For two hours, we're going to just ask questions of some very well-respected and accomplished recreational players. Uh, If you're local to Minnesota, you'll recognize these names. Otherwise, you'll just have to trust me uh, that these are some very good minds. Um, Matt Hamilton, Max Havlish. Ian Matakis, and Alan Cardi, uh, all of whom are just well-respected, very accomplished players that we can all learn a lot from. So uh, I'll have details there. If you want to get on the interest list, just shoot me a note, and that way I can uh, email you directly when uh, the details are available. Happy to do that. Uh, finally... Well, maybe not finally. Um, we, we've reached the end of October, which means I'm gonna start putting together some reporting. Uh, so if you are at the $5 support level or higher, I will send this out to you by the middle of November. And this will include a ton of metrics. Um, since this is our first report, we'll actually go back historical to all that I have, but it'll include metrics on any of the data that's been submitted by you recreational players. Um, And we'll look at things like ROI and the moneyness, caching factors, all of those sorts of things. And a reminder, every quarter, for those of you who are at the silver level or higher, I'll do quarterly analytics on your data as well as the combined data and share all of that data for those of you who are supporting us at that level. And uh, man, I think this is gonna be incredibly helpful. It has been to me in the past, just looking at my own data, but when we start consolidating data I think it's going to be super helpful. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am an actuary by trade. I've done analytics, capital markets, hedging, workforce analytics. Uh, this is what I do. I gain insights from data. And I think uh, this is going to be something that's going to be surprise you with how insightful uh, it could be. So uh, that's something you can take a look at as well. And finally, uh, willing to do some email coaching. Um, and we can do this at different support levels through Patreon. Or we can do sort of a separate arrangement if you want. And again, uh, I can offer you my insights, but I can also offer you insights that I'm gleaning from our content providers and even on occasion be able to provide you links to uh, some content that could help you uh, work through some things on your own time. So uh, that's a lot of information. Again, uh, a lot of this you can get as part of your support on Patreon.com. So I want to encourage you to go to Patreon.com slash RecPoker. We've got all of the different tiers listed out there, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. Uh, where you can get this this uh, support, but also you know feel free to just support without getting anything in return, even for a dollar a month. All of these things add up. All of these things pave the way for us here at Rec Poker to provide more things for you. Uh, the more we don't have to monetize things, the more we can just get support from all of you. The more we can just put content out for free. So uh, obviously, that's what I'm looking to do is provide as much value as I can. Um, but obviously it, it costs money to do these things, and so we're, we're going to do it as cheap as we can, but the more support we get, the more we can put out there. So a ton of great options out there. Uh, final reminders, um, thanks to the listeners, contributors. Thanks to all of my friends. Thanks to all of you who consider yourself part of Rec Poker Nation. It's fun to see the, uh, the momentum going. Thanks to Running Aces for your ongoing support, being our official sponsor. I want to please encourage you to like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff on iTunes that, that helps drive traffic toward us. Go to patreon.com slash poker to support it. If you want to wear a patch, let me know. If you want some merch, go to floptheworld.com slash poker. And as always, if you have any feedback, Facebook, Twitter, email me, whatever you want there. So that is it. Thanks for hanging with, and we will chat with you next week.